We've reached John chapter 10. And my goal today is to fully appreciate this duel of a parable in the middle of John and to be deeply moved in response. And what I'm going to be doing is, first of all, giving the explanation of the parable. And then we're going to talk about the, their response and our response. And the first half is on your one, side one of the handout. And the second half is going to be on side two of the handout. So quick overview of where we are in John. John can be divided into two halves. Part one, which is Jesus' public ministry. He's doing miracles. The crowds are following him. People are watching. And then part two is his private ministry, either with his disciples or his cross, his, his, his the cross and the resurrection. And so those two halves of it, that kind of, falls very neatly at the end of chapter 12, and John kind of closes it. You can see he's wrapping up this first part and beginning the second part. So it's very evident that he's written in two halves. Um, The first half, people have called the Book of Signs, because there are seven signs that go through there, and John is particularly interested in how people relate to these signs. And so I've got a a visual overview there of of how this Book of Signs works. We have... um, begins with a prologue in chapter 1, and then we end with an epilogue in chapter 12. And then we have some some miracles done, some things done in small... They're, they're not private, but they're in smaller, more intimate groups. So we have the wedding, Nicodemus, woman at the well, the child healed, and those are kind of smaller groups. And we end up with the Lazarus resurrection, which is like the climax. It's the big sign. But again, that's not quite so public. It's more of a smaller group. Then in the middle, the green parts there and the white are are really, really public. And Jesus starts off with a Sabbath healing, and then there's all kinds of public things like feeding 5,000. And then in chapter 9, which we talked about last time, we have a Sabbath healing, uh, which is a man born blind. And then we have, I am the good shepherd. And this wraps up the the public teaching of Jesus. We've still got Lazarus, but this is the public teaching, and it comes to a kind of a climax. Because you know how to start with Jesus was reluctant to say who he was, because it would precipitate the end. They would they would try and kill him right away, and he wouldn't get his ministry done. So, But now he's got nothing to lose, because he knows the end is near, and so now he's very, very open about who he claims to be. And we'll see, like the climax is, uh, I and the Father are one. And they take up stones to throw at him. So that's how the thing builds up. That's where we are in John, the last, the very end of Jesus' public ministry in John. So you have the passage in front of you. And uh, we've seen before that John's writing is highly poetic. Um, the original readers would have been attuned very much to this because it was not uncommon in that culture. But in nowadays, it's not some, it's not the way we write. We kind of just write things out in a very kind of plain way, particularly telling stories. And it's only in the last few decades that people have begun to be more attuned to the way things are going on in these ancient writings. And even now, it's not given wide attention. It's increasing. but um, uh, And so almost all of the structure you're seeing in front of you is my work. 
Uh, and I think you'll see as we go through that it's pretty evident that this is how it's structured, but it's something which I think can really bring an enrichment to the understanding when you see how the the way it's formulated, the, the poetry actually fits in so well with what the message is. They really complement one another. So first of all, let's look at the Good Shepherd. And this is uh, the first side of your handout. When I... Uh, briefly looked at what I'd be preaching on this Sunday, I thought, oh great, something a little less demanding, uh, an easy message, this will be easier to prepare, uh, how wrong I was. Uh, it's quite easy to read this chapter and think, you've got it, but actually all you've got is some sort of warm feelings about fluffy sheep and happy shepherds and so on, and you miss what the real guts of this passage is. Once you start to look a bit closer, you can see it can be very confusing. Is Jesus the door or is he the shepherd? Or um, what does it mean to hear his voice? Uh, what are these bad guys? Are they all the same? We've got some thieves and robbers. We've got some strangers. Are they the same people? And then we've got the hired hands. What, what about these people? And so it's not, it, it becomes more confusing as soon as you start to look beneath the surface. And then you say, well, should I be worrying? Um, uh, should, should I be worrying if the passage is talking so much about bad guys? Like, is this what it's about? So anyway, uh, you look at the handout I've given you. I've divided this into several sections. So the first five verses there are the main parable. And then verse six there with the orange background is the response. Actually, let me bring it up and then I can actually talk you through this. Um, wrong one. There we go. There. So we have the main parable. Then we have the response in verse six. And then we have... Uh, Verses 7 through to 18, four stages of unfolding these, and I've marked them A, B, C, and D. You can see on the right-hand side. And then the second page is the, the um, oh, right at the bottom we have, sorry, right at the bottom we have the second response in verse 19, the second response to this. So let's get into this. Let's look at the first five verses. Um. I tell you the solemn truth, the one who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. But the one entering by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep listen to his voice. His own sheep he calls by name. He leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice, but a stranger they will never follow, but will run away from him because they do not recognize the voice of strangers. So I'm not going to go into the poetry side of things in detail, but you can see very evidently how it's worded with like a starting statement about the bad guys and then the statement about recognizing the voice and then um, Jesus calling his name, leading them out, going ahead of them, and then it, it goes back again through the same set of ideas in reverse. And that is very common in ancient poetry to, to write it that way. And it's a very powerful way of writing things because you can you can start with a, your theme and you can kind of bring it to a climax and then you can come back to the theme. 
But uh, I want to uh, draw your attention to some things in this. <clears throat> Nobody's named in this. Like it's a parable, but nothing is explained. Um, it's just a story about thieves and robbers and shepherds. And um, they don't understand in verse 6. Jesus told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Um, isn't it obvious? Any child could tell you from Sunday school what this was about. Well, it's not obvious because we know the end of the story, right? We know that Jesus is the good shepherd. But you think if they only got that first section, the first five verses, it's not obvious what he's talking about. He doesn't mention himself. He doesn't name any things. He just says, there's a shepherd. There's good guys. There's bad guys. This is what the shepherd does. Well, what's that about? So it is partially understanding that they that they didn't get it. I mean, they, there is some context they could have got from the Old Testament, but it's, it's, we can give them the benefit of the doubt there. But the other thing is that Jesus is going to unpack this now. And down the right-hand margin, you see there's a, a B, and C there. And what we're going to see is he unpacks um, A in this next section, and then he unpacks B, in verses 11 through to 15, and then C in verse 16. But at the end of B, I've got a little D at the bottom, the bottom right of B, where he brings something else in, and then that needs to be unpacked at the bottom. So actually, um, this does need some explanation. And the explanation is not completely obvious to start with. So um, let's, let's read the first part of the explanation. Uh, this is verses 7 through to 10. So Jesus said again, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. So now he's explaining what the door means. So to start off with, verse 1, he talks about how you get in. You get in by the door or people who don't come in by the door are coming as, as thieves and robbers. Now, I need to give you a bit of context from the culture at the time. What would happen would be, um, a village would have lots, lots of people who own sheep. And you may only had like two or three sheep. You may not have very many. You may have more. But they would, they would pull their resources and have a sheepfold for the village. And then somebody would be in charge of watching the gate for this to make sure somebody didn't come in and steal your sheep. Because, you know, your sheep were there and you knew your sheep. But... And they knew you, but someone else could come in and steal them. So this was the background. And so here you have somebody protecting, uh, guarding against somebody coming in. And they could easily come in. And of course, sheep were valuable. It was a main source of income. And so they could very easily sneak in there, take a sheep, you know, either kill it on the spot and take away the carcass or take it away live and, and they're, and they're evil and they're, they're, and they're trying to damage your flock. And so this is the image that's there. So what Jesus is saying in this image is actually the fold that I am going to tell you about has me protecting it. This is a really safe place to be because here I am the one who's watching who comes in. So he says, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it more abundantly. So it turns out that Jesus is going to give us two different ways of reading this parable. One way of reading it, and he's the door protecting this enclosure. The other way of reading it is he's the shepherd. And both of these work, and both of these have got things we can learn from them. But they're two different ways of taking the parable. So uh, if we take the this way of Jesus being the door, he's saying, I'm setting up a new sheepfold. It's a new secure place, and I'm going to guarantee protection to this place because I'm not going to let the, the, the damaging people who are in there. Now, you may wonder what verse 8 is about. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. What's the, who, is, who is this? Who is he talking about? Well, actually, it's almost certain that he is quoting from um, a passage in Ezekiel. And Ezekiel 34, we read, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And these are the leaders, both the the uh, um, rulers of Israel, but mainly the spiritual leaders of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they're supposed to be providing justice for the poor, care, representing God's love to this world, and yet they were harsh and abusive to the people. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Can you feel God's heart in that? Like he's, he's so upset about the way his people are treated. He's angry, he's upset, and he's going to do something. What is he going to do? Well, this is why we have, uh, is very relevant to our passage. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall their grazing be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. Those are the the bad leaders. I will feed them in justice. So you can see that there was a history of abuse in Israelite leadership. 
And I'm sure Jesus is thinking of the people who now, even at that time, are abusing the people. The leaders who should have been the ones to bring justice, to bring care, to look after the weak, to show the love of God to those who, who were, were hurting. And what were they doing? They were legalistic, vicious Pharisees who didn't care about the people. And this is breaking Jesus' heart. He's so angry about this. He's upset about this. And so he is a shepherd as opposed to those who want to break in and steal. So um, that's the background to this. Jesus saying that they who came before him were thieves and robbers. So what are we to take from this? The only response we're called to in this is to enter the new sheepfold through Jesus, and then we'll be safe. What, what are we to do? What does this mean here, to, to, to enter the sheepfold? Well, I'm going to talk about that later, but this just let's make a note of this. We're told here, if anyone enters through me, uh, he'll be saved, and he'll come out and go in and come out and find pasture. So there's the, like, the takeaway from this passage. Now, it's ironic that verse 10 is used by prosperity preachers um, who turn it into finance. Um, so what they turn this into, it's actually all about stuff you own, and Satan wants to take away your stuff, but Jesus wants you to have more stuff. And this is so opposite to the kind of teaching that Jesus brings to us. If we look at what Jesus says, he says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, let my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, of course, uh, it's wrong. It's, it, Jesus is concerned if we're in need, if we're hungry, if our needs are not met. That is that is something that the shepherd is concerned about. But when it talks about here, I have come so they may have life and have it more abundantly. It's not. He's not saying you're going to have so many dollars in your bank account. That's not what it's about. In fact, often the people with the dollars are not the happiest people. What Jesus is saying is you'll have real life, true life, which is abundant. You'll have joy and you'll have a depth of richness in your life, which is not something which money can buy. So I just wanted to make that point about the misinterpretation of that verse that you often see around at this time and ironically um, partially by the false shepherds. Um, so that's that's the uh, the section that section A there. Um, so Jesus does say he will provide for them. We don't want to lose sight of that. The Jesus is the shepherd who provides for his people. But now I want to come on to B, and B. Jesus is this is the, the main one. Jesus is now going to take this story and put himself in the role of the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then we have the opposite. The hired hand, who's not a shepherd and does not own sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees, and the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters. Because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. You can see between 12 and 13 there, very like the very close 
parallel between those two lines. The hired hand doesn't care. The hired hand doesn't care. And this is opposed to Jesus, who um, is the good shepherd. So verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So it's very clear here what's being spoken. There's a contrast between Jesus, the true shepherd, and the hired hand who doesn't really care. And But what's interesting is that Jesus' um, description of how much he cares is in terms of laying down his life for his sheep, which is pretty extreme. It would be pretty rare that a shepherd would actually have to do that for a sheep. But that's the point that Jesus said, I'm prepared to go for. And I put a little D in the bottom there because that's going to be unpacked in a minute because that actually is such an important part of this story that Jesus is going to unpack that in section D. But then there's one more thing that needs to be explained, and that is like, who is this? Who's this sheepfold? Who are these people? And Jesus is mindful that this is going to be recorded, and 2,000 years later, people like us are going to read and say, well, like, who is this? Who's this about? And he wants to reassure us in verse 16 that actually this applies not just to those who've got a Jewish descent, but it applies actually to all of his people. Because he's conscious that the Ezekiel passage could be taken to refer to just Israel, but actually he's expanding it out to, to, for all of God's people. And he wants to make this explicit. I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them too. They will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. So, which is interesting. So not two flocks, but one flock, one people of God. So um, that's, uh, that is the, the message then of the, the Good Shepherd. So before we come on to D, I want to ask you um, how we should respond to this. So I think the wolf being pictured here is Satan, um, because he's pictured as a wolf in other places. But also, it's the means of attack. It's his attempt to attack and destroy um, God's people. And uh, often he attacks through people. Uh, he can attack in many, many different ways. But the real question here, I think, is here we have, in the light of this wolf, how much commitment do you want from your shepherd? Given the wolf is like this, what kind of a shepherd do you want? So the purpose he's bringing the wolf here is not to draw, so we start focusing on the wolves. Oh, wolves are so scary. Oh, I'm so scared. But no, that's not what we're not supposed to get distracted by that. The wolves are in there to throw back our attention on the shepherd. This is how important it is. This is how crucial it is. You have a shepherd that's willing to lay down their lives. So the emphasis is not on the wolf, which brings me to this question. Um, how are to, we to respond to this chapter? And to be honest with you, this was the hardest part of my preparation here. Um, I want to get beyond the kind of, oh, Jesus is lovely and we're fluffy sheep kind of response, which is true, but I want to get beyond that. And I want to say, what is Jesus trying to say to us? Not what should we try and grab from it, but what is Jesus really trying to say? Well, 
it could be warnings about thieves and false shepherds, and there are plenty of false shepherds around still. But that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is emphasizing. They're in there, but other times Jesus talks about, like false prophets, you know them by their fruit and give some instruction. But that doesn't seem to be the main thrust here, what Jesus is saying. Well, maybe it's about hearing his voice and making sure we're hearing his voice. And that's true, and that is in there. But Jesus, if that was the main thing, Jesus could have spent more time on saying, you know, this is what my voice is like, you need to hear my voice, and then kind of developing it into follow me, these are the ones who follow me, which he does in other places. But that doesn't seem to be the main point, although it's important. Um, And... Uh, it is part of it, as we'll see when we come to the Pharisees. Um, could it be about entering into Jesus, into the sheepfold, through him being the door? I think it is. That's important part. But that's not what Jesus spends the most time on. Um, I think the main thing in this passage is not so much understanding a theological truth but about how we experience our relationship with Jesus. This is about a felt sense of belonging to Jesus. This passage is about a felt sense of Jesus loving you so much that he will give his life for you. It's not about knowing it. It's about feeling that he loves you that much. That seems to be to be what Jesus is really trying to get across. By the way, he emphasizes things. By the way, the argument flows. And there is so much focus on care in this. There's so much. And um, I I found that as I I let these verses sink in as I was studying this, I just felt Jesus' presence in, in 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 a stronger way. I just felt Jesus' love for me. That's just so extraordinary that he would write these words because he wants me to feel how much he loves me. He wants me to engage with him in this way. Um, the bad shepherds are there to be a contrast with the good shepherd. That They're not the focus. They're there to highlight the good shepherd. Um, and so look at... Um, look at... Uh, these verses here, verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's bringing the father in, uh, I think, because he's intensifying this security that we have. That is not just me, but actually the, the whole of divinity, like the whole Godhead is for you. And, you know, God the Father is, is right behind what I'm doing here. And so because of that, because this is the crucial thing, this laying down his life for the sheep, he's going to expand that. And that's why I think he moves on to D, because this is really the core message. This is why the Father loves me. In other words, God is right behind this mission. He's right behind this program. In fact, he He actually loves me doing this because I lay down my life so that I may take it back again. Now, this is important because, 
You know, a shepherd that dies and stays dead isn't much use to the sheep, are they? Is, are they? And they didn't really understand it at this time about the resurrection. So Jesus is just reassuring them. Hey, look, if I die for you, I'm going to come back again. So don't worry about a dead shepherd. No one takes it away from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I love you so much. I've chosen to be this for you. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my father. We are one in this. The father and I are one in this plan for you. And uh, I, I think uh, for me, when I see this, when I see how this is put down, I find this so powerful. Um, so if I'm right, and this is about a felt sense of Jesus' commitment to us, then this is where we should end up. And we do. This is where he ends up, this this parable at this place where he's emphasizing the level of his commitment to you and to me the level of his commitment because doing it willingly because you are so important to you he knows you so then we have the second response in verse 19 another sharp division took place among the jewish people because of these words many of them were saying he's possessed by a demon lost his mind why do you listen to him Others said, these are not the words of someone possessed by a demon. A demon cannot cause the blind to see, can it? And so it's mixed. So we've moved to a confused response, to a mixed response. And John is tracking for us the responses as we go through. So then we have, let's turn over and we have the next part. So now we have this parable being acted out in practice so it really connects very strongly with the first part even though there's a delay it's a later time then came the feast of the dedication in jerusalem it was winter jesus was walking in the temple area in solomon's portico the jewish leaders surrounded him and asked him how long will you keep us in suspense if you are the christ tell us plainly jesus replied i told you and you do not believe The deeds I do in my father's name testify about me, but you refuse to believe because you are not my sheep. Now, I've put this as a staircase here. This is not in poetry, but I formatted it like this for you because Jesus is following a a set of linking statements. So he starts off, they say, tell us plainly, and that's in bold there. And Jesus says, I told you. And then introduces the new idea, you do not believe. And then he says, you do not, you refuse to believe. And the new idea is because you're not my sheep. And then he says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. And then he takes that line up, snatch them from my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. I and the father are one. Wow. That's so you can see it's just this beautiful set of statements that like a, like a wave that's moving on and it ends up in this point here. But the line of reasoning is really interesting because he's really saying he's, he, this flows directly from the parable. He says, you're not my sheep because you don't actually recognize who I am. If you were my sheep, then you would see, you'd, you'd notice, you'd, you'd see that I'm, you'd recognize it. You'd hear my voice. And you would receive this new life. 
And this is very helpful to us because it explains to us a perfect example in real life. And uh, so what they asked for it, they said, tell us plainly, they got it. They got it plainly, um, not what they wanted, not what they expected. But um, the point here is, if you are God's, if you belong to him, you will actually recognize Jesus. When you read the words, you'll say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's him. Something in you will recognize it. And that's God's spirit in you. When God puts his spirit in you, you recognize it. And that's how, that's how people get saved because the spirit goes on them. And as the spirit comes into them, they recognize it's Jesus and they respond. So Jesus isn't bringing the spirit into this passage, but if he would, that's how he would explain it. Um, because in other places he says to Peter, the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but the spirit has. And so, but as the spirit bring, is in us, we hear, he opens our ears, we hear the voice and we recognize it. So what Jesus is talking about here is recognizing that Jesus really is the son of God. And that is something that when we recognize that, that leads us to him and we uh, receive him. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is the image that he has in verse 28 and 29 is e- even stronger than the earlier one. None, nothing, no one shall snatch them from my hand. So, you know, when you are holding something really tight, I don't know if you've ever tried to take something out of somebody's hand when they're holding it tight. You know, they've got a strong hand and it's small. You, you know, how do you prize the fingers apart? Imagine trying to prize God's fingers apart. You know, that's how securely you're held. What Jesus is emphasizing in this passage, and I want to say it again, it's security. You cannot be more secure than in God's hand. You have a savior who will give his life for you. And you have a God who has you tightly in his hand. And so then they have a response to this and the response is intensifying. We went from uh, confusion to division to the Jewish leaders picked up rocks again to stone him to death. And we can understand from this very clearly that Jesus was claiming to be God by saying, I and the Father are one. That he was claiming that he would be God at this point. <clears throat> that he was divine. So um, then we have the, the last part here. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good deeds from the Father. Which of them are you going to stone me? So he kind of manages to stop them at this point. Other times he slipped away when they went to stone him, but this time he actually manages to hold them. He says, which are you going to stone me for? And uh, they kind of watch the answer here. Um, We're not going to stone you for a good deed, but for blasphemy, because you're a man claiming to be God. And Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. If those people to whom the word of God, so this is from the psalm, and in the psalm, the, the, the word gods is actually, um, can be ambiguous sometimes in the way it's written in the Old Testament. And it can refer to rulers as well as divine beings. And this particular psalm, it's referring to the, um, the, uh, leaders of Israel. 
they're called gods. If these people to whom the word of God came are called gods and scripture cannot be broken, do you say about the one whom the father set apart and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? And so uh, I won't try and unpack exactly what Jesus is doing with this, this psalm here because I don't think he's trying to. What he's trying to do is, like, you people don't even understand your own scriptures. Like, and how do you presume to actually judge me when you don't even understand your own scriptures properly? Uh, and then he culminates this. He says, if I do not perform the deeds of the Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, even if you do not believe me, believe the deeds. And that is like the um, the end of this public message of Jesus. So that you may come to know and understand that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Then the attempt again to seize him, but he escaped their clutches. And then we have like a postscript to this so that we don't end up by thinking that everything is negative. In fact, even though the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus, many, many didn't. So we read Jesus went back across the Jordan River again to the place where John had been baptizing at an earlier time and he stayed there. Many came to him and began to say, John performed no miraculous sign, but everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in Jesus there. So I want to, I'm going to end right now and I'd like the worship team to come back up again. Um, it's very clear, a message here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the message is very clear. Uh, Jesus never turns away sheep who come to the door. He never turns away sheep. So the message is, come to the fold. Jesus will let you in. You have the most incredible offer of security here. All you need to do is to recognize Jesus and come. That The problem is with you, not with him. Come and he will let you into his fold. Their problem was they didn't recognize him. Just ask and he will take you in to eternal security. But I want to end by saying, and this is the most important thing that I've said the whole time, that if you are one of his sheep, you need to have a felt sense of the presence of your shepherd. If you're one of his sheep, you need to have a felt sense of the presence of your shepherd. And I'm going to read a few of the verses now from, from this, um, from this sheet. And we're going to just, I want to read them over you. And I want you to just sense what Jesus is saying to you through them. So, uh, first of all, um, from the first section up there, you don't have to read it. You can just listen if you want to and just get a sense. Just, just, just have a conversation with Jesus as I'm doing this, as I'm reading this and ask him to come and make this felt sense in you. His own sheep he calls by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them. Verse 13, because he's a hired hand, he does not care about the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. I lay down my life for you. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give you 
And I'm speaking to you now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I give you eternal life. And you will never perish. No one will snatch you from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one will snatch you from his hand. I and the Father are one. I just want you to know that this parable is for you. This parable is for you to understand what you have in Jesus. Let's just pray, shall we? Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We can't express what it means that you, the eternal God, have set such a love on us, that you would die for us, that you'd give anything for us because we are so precious to you. Take away our fears, Lord. Take away the worries that we have, the issues that we have, that we face, Lord, that we may be able to trust in you in all all the stresses of life. I just want to end up by just talking about what our worries are. You know, people talk about first world worries. You know, the first world worry is, you know, will the data run out on my cell phone plan before the end of the month? And a majority world worry, you know, is my child going to die of malaria? But actually, those are minor worries compared with where am I going to spend eternity? Like, how am I? When these these beings, these these uh, vicious satanic beings are trying to tear me up. Where am I? Do I have one who will be there for eternity and is watching over every moment of my life? So that actually, even if malaria is happening, I don't have to worry because the shepherd has me in his hand. And I want to say that what God wants to speak to you is that third kind of worry that encompasses everything from the beginning of time to the end of time. And it encompasses all your needs right now. It encompasses whether you're hungry right now. It encompasses, you know, your security, your finances, everything. But it's so much more than that. And he wants to say, he is a good shepherd. He, he loves his sheep so much that nothing can pluck you from his hand. Amen.